Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Okay, welcome to the Running Light Podcast on February 18th, 2016. And how you doing, Peter? Doing good, man. Yeah, how was the um, the men's group today, or yeah. this week? Yeah, on Tuesday. Yeah, it was great. Uh, we're having a lot more guys come out, uh, around 20, uh, 20 or so men coming out every time, which is really awesome, real blessing. Yeah, that's, that's great. Today's topic is going to be self-gratification or otherwise known as masturbation. You know, how can it feel so good? How can it be wrong, man? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, one thing I, I wanted to start off with is in this uh, online publication, Today's Christian Woman, it talks about um, masturbation. The question is, is it wrong? And and it's neat to hear how people kind of go about this issue. Um, and there's a lot of writings on the Internet about it. And we'll try to touch on different things, too, so we're not just redundant. But... Um, uh, she first says the writer that um, it is a complicated issue, and um, and it doesn't lend to clear a black and white answer. Um, this person wants to be realistic and also honor God about it. And, but it says, as a purely biological level, masturbation isn't that much different than other things that we do with our bodies, like picking our noses. Toddlers do both. I would. I, would <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the picking the nose thing. I don't know. <laughs> I think I could argue about the sin nature of that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope, I hope, we hate to laugh, but I, yeah. I hope self-gratification isn't as um, often as picking your nose. Because, I mean, a lot of us pick our nose while we're driving a car, <laughs> you know? So, so that's kind of a, that's how she starts the article. Though. I just kind of giggled at that. Uh, we are wired to touch bodies everywhere and repeat touching where uh, kids especially like to find pleasure. Little boys and girls quickly discover that their private parts feel good to touch. As children grow, wise parents gently teach that touching some places of our bodies isn't appropriate to do in public, and they also teach their kids not to pick their noses in public either. <laughs> um, and then she says, but why does picking your nose have to be embarrassing but non-moral uh, stigma? While masturbation has become laden with tremendous guilt and shame, while there is nothing inherently wrong with touching yourself to experience pleasure, masturbation becomes a moral issue because it involves sexuality. Sexuality has intrinsic moral implications. Does that mean that masturbation is always immoral? I don't think so. Here are a few questions that can help you evaluate the issue given your personal circumstances. So I do agree that that. Um, sexuality has intrinsic moral implications, but in order to really believe that statement that it has intrinsic moral implications means we're putting a belief system on top of our sexuality. Um, if I wasn't a Christian, um, which at one point I wasn't growing up, um, it, self-gratification wasn't an issue. Hmm. Um, I never had a problem with self-gratification until I became a Christian. And then, then there became something to fight against um, when it came to the issue of self-gratification. So, you know, um, it, your worldview, um, whether you believe there's a God or what kind of God you believe in or if you believe there's no God, that's going to really um, 
you bring that belief system to the topic of masturbation? Because I think for a lot of people, it's a non-topic. Mm. You yeah. know, I mean, I was reading in, um, I was looking up doctors' um, kind of opinions, um, and they were just like, "Hey, it's you know, it's it's natural. It's part of you know the function of a biological function of human beings." It's, um, it helps people to understand their bodies. It relieves stress in their body. There's nothing, there's no harm in it. Nothing's happening to your organs if you masturbate or even masturbate a lot. It's not like a big deal. Um, and that's kind of the consensus with a lot of, um, doctors, um, who look at things more from maybe a, uh, physiology, bio- biology point of view. You know, so what is it with us Christians and 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 self gratification? What we call self gratification? Why why is it such a why do we have to battle this? Why is it such a problem in our minds? You know, what do you think to that, Peter? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I totally understand that perspective from um, the scientists and the biologists and. And all those groups of people, and the reason is because you know, even as a Christian, if I saw a dog humping a chair leg or something like that, I wouldn't look at the dog and be like, "What a sinner!" You know, "What a sick animal!" You know, (laughs) yeah, "What a sick dog!" You know, it's just it's just totally natural to the animal uh, that he has all the testosterone going. I mean, why not uh, do it? Uh, the, The fundamental thing about a Christian. Uh, the reason why we hold ourselves to a higher standards because we believe that we were created in the image and likeness of God, uh, and that doesn't mean that um, you know, like like some people would think that you know we we are gods or something like that, but it does mean that we are created. We were designed by our Maker in order to honor Him, to glorify Him, which we've talked about before, uh, to reflect His nature and characteristics. That is something that we were designed to do. And so because of that, our sexuality has uh, a great impact on our lives. It's not something that we could look at and just be like, well, you know, uh, as Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 6, you know, food for stomach, stomach for food. I have this sexual urge and desire, so why not just gratify it myself? Yeah, take care of it. No, and that's a good point because, I, I, you know, from a Christian worldview, we look at it as um, obviously from the revelation of God, um, uh, of course, through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, who makes mention of it. And we're going to talk about an issue, you know, that, that deals with, uh, that definitely pertains to self-gratification or masturbation. Mm-hmm. So we look at Jesus and we also look at obviously the, the writers of the, some of them were eyewitness accounts of Jesus and, um, and, uh, the apostles. And, you know, Paul talks about that image of God, that we are made in the image of God. And he tells us to actually, put to death the members, our members that are on the earth. And he gives us a list, right? He, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. But then he says, he calls these things idolatry. And then he says that, um, that we have, that we are to put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. Mm. And I think that's something that you just touched on is that we're made in the image of God. And so from a Christian perspective, when you're looking at it that we're made in the image of God, then we are to reflect the characteristics of our creator. Mm. And so we have to always bring everything, um, whether it's masturbation or whatever activity, into that light. Is this in the characteristic of the creator? Mm. 
And we know from the book of 1 John that we know that God is love. Mm. And so we know that a characteristic quality of God is love. Um, and so, and now love can be defined many ways, right? Yeah. You know, so we have to kind of look at it as like, okay, what, how does the Bible define love? And then does masturbation fit into that, that mold? Mm. I think that's one way to look at the issue of masturbation if it's right or wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, I think that we see many examples of that in the Bible and I do love, uh, I do love the New Testament and, and how, uh, the writers of the New Testament kind of deal with the issues of sexuality and, and all these things, especially 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're dealing with a, a society of people, a group of people who are obviously, you know, neck deep in sexual sin. You know, for them, uh, I, I would say, like, for the Corinthian church, it wasn't like masturbation was the huge deal. It was like people actually going out and having physical intimacy with prostitutes. Um, and, and Paul, at the end of it, understanding that he's dealing with the people that would probably argue with him on a lot of the points, he just says at the end of it, do all things in love. Um, and, and that would be a meaningless statement, as, as like you just said, Bo, if uh, I'm able to define love by my own standards. You know, that love to me is certain feelings or just trying to be a good person or just trying to treat people how I view as a right way. Um, and that that makes love kind of a meaningless statement. But when I couple that statement of 1 Corinthians 16, do all things in love, with 1 Corinthians 13, which defines love and how love acts, that love suffers long and is kind, love does not seek its own. Well, how on earth am I going to sit alone in my room, view images of of women um, who are also made in the image and likeness of God, um, women and men, uh, performing acts that are sinful. I think we would all agree that the things, if you're a Christian, you would agree that the acts that are happening in pornography are sinful. Uh, those people are obviously not married. They're, they're having intimacy with one another for money. Uh, you're going to view those acts and you're going to pleasure yourself to them, uh, tricking your mind into having an orgasm. Uh, I, I don't really see that as being in any way uh, from a standpoint of being arguing that, hey, th- yeah, that's totally not seeking my own. That's totally for the betterment of other people or for the glory of God. You really can't make that argument, I don't believe. Yeah. So the, the so <clears throat> already we, we see that we have a problem with, with the issue of self-gratification. Um, and we're dealing, obviously, specifically with, with self-gratifying to images right now. That's what we're specifically talking about um, because it obviously is something where love is, biblical love is not being utilized and we are made in the image of God and we are to reflect his image, which is the image of love. Um, and love does not seek its own, as it says in first Corinthians 13. So love becomes especially a seeking or love of pornography and <clears throat> masturbation. Definitely. Um, I shouldn't say love for it, but <clears throat> let's use another term now. Let's use lust. Lust for that, you know, obviously is, is detrimental and because it it is a seeking of its own um yeah i mean that's how that's that's one way to i think approach this topic of masturbation and i think a lot of people do um look at it that way we're told repetitively you know not to engage in the lust of the flesh i think of romans what is it chapter 13 verse 12 um i think of galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the of the spirit and it talks about not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Um, so, 
so we we have to look at really an honest question, and that is: Is masturbation uh, love or lust? And I think that's one way to answer the question. Yeah, and uh, I think that usually when we get on the topic of love and lust, I know I, I commented on an article uh, a year or two ago where uh-huh. uh, a man was was trying to deal with this issue, and he said one of his major reasons for uh, doubting the Christian uh, worldview of lust being a bad thing is when he read Matthew 5, and I think this is a major problem that a lot of people have, in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, you've heard it say that if you um, if you have adultery with a woman, it's a sin, but I say to you that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery with mm-hmm. her. Uh, and his major contention was like, well, I mean, what is the Bible really telling me? That if I, if I see a beautiful woman, I'm supposed to pretend that she's not beautiful? Am I not allowed to see beauty anywhere, even in my wife? Like, am I not allowed to get aroused by my spouse? Like, is that, is that what the Bible is trying to tell me? And it really came from, for him, it came from a misunderstanding of what Jesus is trying to say when he says the word lust. And I think a lot of Christians, uh, fall into this trap today as well, where we view it in the sense of like, I need to basically blindfold myself, you know, when I'm walking <laughs> right. around. Yeah, especially, you know, in yeah. Tucson, Arizona, when you're walking around like the U of A campus or right. something like that. In or the, the spring mall. or something. In the spring. And, right. you know, people, not just girls, but, you know, guys are walking around without a shirt on, you yeah. know, and they're, they're very athletic and good looking. And, mm-hmm. and women are walking around with uh, very little on. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, either you're a man or a woman, but you're going to see beauty out there. You're going to see beautiful people mm-hmm. uh, doing things. And so is the Bible really telling me that that's wrong? And uh, I think that that leads to a lot of people trying to basically commit mental suicide. Like they're trying to they're trying to destroy thoughts, uh, thinking that they're sinful when they're not. And it ends up leading people to feel constantly condemned, constantly guilty, constantly like they can never measure up or, or fulfill the will of God. And they always feel like they're sinners uh, when that is actually not what Jesus is even beginning to say in Matthew chapter 5, when he uses the word lust, and, and I know we've defined it in earlier videos, when he's using the word lust, he's not saying if you look at a woman and you see that she's beautiful, mm-hmm. you've committed adultery with her in her heart. He says if you look at a woman and you lust, and the word lust is the idea of covetousness, greed, uh, or idolatry. And so when you think about a person, it's like if I see money as a good thing, does that mean I'm greedy? Yeah. You know, No, right? When do I become greedy? It's when I want all the money for myself. So if I look at a girl and I say, she's beautiful, I have not lusted. But if I look at a girl and I say, I want her for me, or that body is good and pleasing to me, and I make it a selfish thing and I start to become aroused by her and to fantasize about her, then I've crossed the line into lust. Mm -hmm. But if I see a woman and I say, she's beautiful, I haven't lusted. Yeah. I haven't done anything wrong. And that's good distinction. You know, we always need to understand that there's a way that nothing's wrong with attraction and nothing's wrong with beauty. You see those in the Bible. You know, Sarah was beautiful. It says that repetitively in the Bible. You know, it talks about people as being beautiful. It doesn't mean that there's like some sexual lust going on with those people. It just means that they were pretty people. You know, they were very attractive. So someone could be attractive. And this is where we have to learn um, as we grow um, in our walk with God and, and, and amongst people and human beings is that nothing's wrong to see someone in the mall and go, hey, that person's attractive. Mm. That's a pretty looking person. Right. But I don't have to now take that and become selfishness or covetousness mm. um, with that thought 
to what leads to self-gratification. Right, right. Um, and even even God in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, he sees Israel and he and he paints uh, the he picture. Paints the picture of a naked woman. That's right. And he says, "I wanted her," and he covers her with his wing, and he brings her in, and he clothes her, and he bathes her, and it's it's this very intimate picture. Yeah. And I remember the first time I read it. I think you read it to me. Mm-hmm. I was I was hit by that in my heart, and I was like, "Man, that sounds so wrong." Mm-hmm. And I remember you to ask me, like, "Are you really going to say that God is being lustful?" And in that moment, I realized that I th- I had equated attraction with lust my whole life. I mm-hmm. thought it was the same thing. But now that I'm seeing, now that you read that passage, is like, well, was God being selfish towards Israel? Did God look at the beauty of Israel and say, man, I just want you for myself and I just want to use you? No, he, he set Israel apart. He called Abraham out of a pagan nation to bless him to bless him and his whole posterity for generations to generations, to use them as a vehicle to produce his Messiah for the salvation of the whole world. Yeah, to be a light to the world. That's right. You so know, th- there's no there's no selfishness in God's attraction. Yeah. If God uses Israel, it is in a non-selfish way. Mm. It's always in that. So he, he definitely takes them for himself. They're a treasure. As it says in Exodus, they're his treasure, they're his, you know. So he, someone could say, well, God's selfish. But no, God's character is not one of being selfish. Mm. He's not selfish. He's not just for himself. He always uses what he, um, he uses things for himself to bless other people. Mm. And, and if he's God, he obviously, that's a good thing. That he's, he, the way he uses things is a proper uh, thing because mm. of his characteristic of love. I think Ezekiel 23 is another great reference for people to read, just to catch the lust that is depicted of Israel um, with their um, foreign enemies and how God pictures Israel as two sisters and how basically they look at pictures on the wall. And and that's that's a close picture to me of um, pornography because it says they look at a men portrayed on the wall images you know, and and it says they they lusted after them. It says as soon as her eyes saw them, she lusted after them. Mm. And so you get the picture that there, she's looking at the wall. She sees the pictures of the men and she she wants it. You know, there's that lust of, you know, then, of course, it leads into a self-gratification because she ends up going to them and being with them. Um, and. And certainly pornography is that imagery of that action. Mm. Even though physically you're not doing it, it's the imagery of being with someone, mm. you know, and and that kind of thing. Now, now, I, you know, we all know, I mean, you know, everybody, you know, a lot of people go, you know, Christians, you go, masturbation, and you go, that's wrong. You know, that's wrong. But, you know, I mean, let's face it, masturbation can be very, very exciting, you know, and that's the truth of the matter. That's a truth statement. You know, um, I'm not, me and Peter aren't naive to that. And we understand that it is not easy to stop self-gratifying. It is um, something that is um, certainly feels amazingly good. Mm. Um, and though it's very selfish, um, but it, to me there's, a lot of people look at have like a stigma with self gratification, like there's like a, a cultural Christian stigma with the issue of masturbation, mm-hmm. where no one has a stigma to having a few glasses of wine or even a glass of wine. 
at the end of the day. Mm. You know, that's popular, especially wine drinking today, man. People are so into it, you know. Um, people love their wine, dude. That's just the bottom line. Go to a, any store and look how many wine choices there is. There is a billion, you know. People love their wine, and it's common. Now, if you ask a person, why do you drink wine, you know, you always get the, you know, the wine connoisseur who's like, well, you know, I like the red wine because it's really good with the antibodies in it <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> the antitoxins. And, you know, but on the whole, you know, you really, people like to drink wine usually at night because what does it do? It makes you feel good. That's right. It makes you feel good. It winds you down, right? And, and masturbation, what does that do? Makes you feel good. It makes you <laughs> feel good. Down, yeah. It winds you down. You know, and sometimes I look at it in that in that parallel way. Meaning when someone looks at it at the stigma of masturbation and they go, Oh, that's bad, dude, that's bad, that's wrong. And that Christian, you know, person you know, the Christian culture, their religious culture is like, that's horrible, that's horrible. But yet I find there's a lot of hypocrisy there too, because, you know, hey, how about you? What do you do when you're discontented? Hmm. Or you're, you're you're not comforted in life. What do you go to? Hmm. You know. Yeah, and Paul definitely gets at that in Romans chapter one, where he talks about he doesn't use masturbation or anything like that. He just says they worship and serve the creature and not the creator. And what's his point? He says to serve something is to worship it. So it means if if I'm feeling stressed out, which I've used so many different things besides masturbation to fill this hole that only Jesus was meant to fill. Uh, you know, when I'm stressed out, I've gone to video games. I've gone to television. Um, I've gone to uh, books sometimes, music. I've gone to different relationships. I've been flirtatious with women before, not even necessarily self-gratifying to or anything like that, but just being flirtatious. Um, there's so many different things that I can choose that doesn't have that, you know, stigma on it. So, you know, and that's the major thing that we're, we're trying to get at. We as Christians want to be pure in the sense of we want to glorify Jesus, we don't just want to be people who are separating ourselves from one particular sin of sexuality. Because if you do that, you're just going to switch to something else, whether it be food, alcohol, whatever, smoking, whatever you need to take the edge off, you're just going to go to something different. Yeah. Where what God is trying to get us to do, what Jesus is trying to get us to do is Ephesians 5, verse 25. I mean, Ephesians 5, where Paul says, let us not be filled with wine, which is dissipation, but let us be filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning you're craving a satisfaction in alcohol, that alcohol can never give, but God can give it to you. You know, you're craving a satisfaction in masturbation that masturbation can never give you. You know, I've obviously masturbated a lot. You know, I, I started masturbating when I was about 12 or 13 years old. No one taught me how to do it. I, I learned how no to do it. No one instructed you? Nobody instructed. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like, um, and that's another thing that people get messed up on, especially in the church. I, I get a lot of parents that come and talk to me, being a youth minister, uh-huh. who are like surprised that their son or daughter is self-gratifying. Like, where did they learn this? It's like, well, you don't really learn it. You know, you don't really, it, it's natural. You just figure out this feels good and you just kind of start doing it. Yeah. Um, and, and so from doing it though, from, from engaging in it, I, I can tell you, I've never had a time of self-gratifying or masturbating in which it actually fulfilled what I was trying to cover over. Whether it was my stress, my anxiety, my pain, whatever it was, it gave me momentary satisfaction, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really didn't solve any problems, but that and that's where Jesus becomes superior. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so it's a lot of good stuff there, Peter. You know that you're talking about for sure. You know, I mean, I I think of that too. I thought I kept thinking about Proverbs where it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, 
the righteous run into him and they are safe. And it seems like, you know, God wants to be glorified as our great deliverer, as the one we could run to, as in a sense, our, the place we can get our fix. You know, God wants to be that and that's how he's honored and glorified. So when we go to anything else for those things, it becomes an issue of self gratification where we start self gratifying with other things, Mm. you know, um, you know, obviously, you know, I don't think we're saying that to have a drink of wine is necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Um, that type of stuff. Or if you touch yourself, you know, you ne- and you feel a little sensitivity down there, yeah. you ne- that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Where it's like you go, oh man, again, that's like, that's wrong. I, I need to just sit in a corner and think of God. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what I mean. No, um, I don't think we're, I don't think we're getting to that, that point. Mm. You know, what we're trying to say, I, I think, is that we could use anything to self gratify with. Mm. Where, where we don't thank God for things. We don't thank Him for the drink of wine. We don't thank Him for the fruit of the vine. Mm. You know, instead we use the drink <clears throat> as a way to escape mm. or, um, from our reality. Instead of using God as um, having a consciousness of God um, with those things, right. does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that it, it makes total sense to me why uh, sexual sin would be one of the favorite things that people will go to. Not only because I mean it feels phenomenal. I mean God created us; we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean obviously God created the orgasm to feel incredible, no matter who you are. Right. Um, and for sure that there's that aspect to it. But I think that the real thing that we grab from self-gratification is it feels so intimate that I think what we really are longing for, what I was longing for, thirsting for uh, inside of my self-gratification was intimacy. I wanted to feel intimate uh, with something or or someone else. And and even if it was just in my mind, in a fantasy, it it produced a, a type of satisfaction for my soul, a type of soothing for my soul that I wasn't getting elsewhere. And, and that's why I think it becomes such a favorite for um, for married people as well, not just single people, but for married people, because maybe you're not getting that type of satisfaction with your wife, or maybe um, you want even more satisfaction that you normally have with your wife. Or maybe you just feel like, man, you know, like my hand's really good. You know, my, my wife doesn't understand my body the way that I do. That's right. You know, we and become good at it. You become really good <laughs> at it. And, and it is true. You know, anyone who's masturbated knows, and you know what you like, you know what you, what it appeals to you mm-hmm. way better than someone else can figure it out. Uh, and so you become kind of, uh, the master of your own gratification and pleasure. And so, again, it's no surprise to me that people would gravitate towards this type of sin. Um, But what it it initially does to your heart is it teaches you, first of all, I mean, someone who's always self-gratifying never learns how to do simple things like wait on the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, like how how are you ever going to learn how to just be in a situation like what Jesus was in in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without feeling the presence of God um, and, and being tempted consistently and being okay with that? knowing that he was honoring and glorifying God, even if his emotions didn't say that? Or how can you be a husband that could be patient with your wife um, or a wife that could be patient with your husband um, when when your spouse might be injured or they, they might not be able to have sex with you? Yeah. Uh, and, and you, or maybe you're just, your work schedules don't line up. 
I mean, how can you learn how to be patient when you just like, man, I can handle this. You know, I, I get a little tension. You know, I can, I can handle it. I can take care of it myself. Um, so you're not learning how to be patient. You're not learning how to, to be loving, to be generous to other people. Uh, and, and it kind of sinks you into yourself. And those are kind of some, in my own life, that, that's what I've seen to be some of the effects that masturbation has on me. Yeah, certainly so. I mean, it, and it becomes, again, not in the characteristic of God. You know, so instead of in the characteristic of God to be loving, to be giving, you know, my body now is something where I, I kind of rule, I touch, um, and and I'm in control of. And uh, our last podcast was on First Corinthians chapter 7, but you get into that verse 3, verse 4 section that talks about our bodies not being ours. You know, that's so true. My As a Christian, my body's not mine. You know, it's first of all, it's God's. So I'm not to do whatever I want to do with it. Um you know, Blaise Pascal has a really cool statement. He he says something cool. He says, true religion teaches our duties and our incapacities, pride and lust, and the remedies against them, humility and mortification. So he saw that, you know, that true religion wasn't just stating the problem. You know, we're, we've been stating the problem, you know, which is the issues of of lust, and that's what really is the root of masturbation because um, it's selfish it's it's wrapped up in self but he saw pascal the mathematician saw that that there was a remedy that needed to be and that's in humility and he says in um what was the other one humility and mortification which is what you're talking about of crucifying the flesh kind of saying no to that thing and meaning there needs to be a power that's given to us. And that's what that's what God promises to us is that he gives us a power to be able to say no and that we're going to be OK if we say no, even though everything in our body is like, do no, no. <laughs> I mean, you have to do this. You know, you have to go through with this. Uh, God saying, no, just be patient, persevere, man. I'm going to be there for you. You're going to see it's going to be OK. You're going to make it through. And that isn't that how sin is. It's like there the pressure of it always feels like you have to do it. You have to fulfill it instead of just waiting, you know, and seeing God show himself faithful in our lives. A lot of times we don't persevere. We don't want to wait. You know, we want to fulfill. You know, my wife always has a a cool saying and she just says, hey, you know, my body's not mine. It's yours. She says that, you know, my body's not mine. It's yours. Meaning, meaning I don't touch myself. You know, it's for you to touch. And that's such a beautiful statement. You know, I wish I was more better at that in my own life, you know, where I thought, you know, my body is not mine to touch. It's not for any other woman to touch. And it's not for my own hand to touch or something else. It is it is God's and it's and it's hers to use. I am to give my body to her. You know, in that way. So I see masturbation is wrong in that way in, in a marital sense because it because I'm not to touch my own body. Now, I, we, we know these truths, but it doesn't mean, guys, we don't struggle or even fall. You know, so we know these truths, but but we are we are men and we are men that battle and and we have to be wise and and work through our own situations as well. You know, so we're bringing out some of the truths, of course, of God's word and what it says about these things. The word masturbation is obviously not in the Bible. 
You know, it doesn't say thou shalt not masturbate. <laughs> you know, but it's certainly it's certainly the issues that we've been talking about, love and lust, are certainly in the Bible. Hmm. You know, so we have to look at those things. You know, we have to look at our body is in the image of God. You know, and what does that mean that we're made in the image of God? Hmm. What characteristics should we have as those in the image of God? Hmm. Now let's talk. Let's switch it up. What about a kid who's you know 13 years old? who touches himself and and has an orgasm and he's like, whoa, you know, man, I, I just, I feel horrible. I sinned against God. You know, what would you say to a kid like that? Well, I mean, usually what, um, I mean, I've, I've obviously had that happen, um, in, in my time in youth ministry, uh, you know, dealing with, uh, obviously parents, when they know what we do, they tend to send their kids our way. And I'm sure you have as well. Mm. Um, and, and usually what, what I go through them with is because I can tell usually when they're, they're brought to me, uh, especially with the, the parental reaction sometimes. And I know that it's not the intent of the parent to harm their kid for sure. Um, but the parent usually reacts in a way like, you know, I, I, I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know. And like what that does is it feeds in the kid of just, oh my gosh, like I'm super weird. Like I'm not normal, and even for me as a kid, when I when I was feeling that way, um, I know that it plagued on my conscience of feeling like so um, just horrific about myself and my sin. Uh, and then I would hang around with my buddies at school, and they're all like, "Yeah, we all masturbate, we all watch porn." And so I started finding comfort in the world, and I started feeling alienated among the people of God. And that actually was one of the contributing factors that led me to become an atheist for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so usually what I do is, is I, I kind of try to help them see, uh, first of all, the root of their sin and why God um, is telling them that it's wrong. And it's not wrong from, from the way that most people see it. It's wrong from the perspective, as we've been talking about, as it becomes a substitution for waiting on the Lord and finding pleasure in Him. So usually what I try to present them with is that Jeremiah 2 kind of idea where God says to his people, you've committed two sins, you've left me the fount of living water, and you've hewn for yourself your own broken cisterns that can't hold water. So I talked to him about how, hey, this 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 thing that you're building for yourself that you think is going to help you and you think is going to uh, gratify you and satisfy you, it's not going to actually live up to what it says. I've been there, I've done it, it, it falls short. You know, as great as an orgasm is, it's not that great. You know, it, it doesn't really fulfill or satisfy the way that you're longing for it to do it. And I just explain that God is the one who can. And so what he wants to do is he wants, once again, he doesn't want you to just stop. He wants you to start finding that level of intimacy and gratification in him yeah. as opposed to the world. Yeah, and that's that's what it's all about. You know, in in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in Leviticus, we, we I, I think it's Leviticus that talks about nocturnal emissions. Um, and, and, and we see that that's true. I, you know, people do have that. I remember having that too. We called them, I think, wet dreams when I was young. I don't know what they call them today. I think so. Wet Same dreams. things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where you wake up and you're like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're kind of freaking out. Yeah. And, um, and you know, and, and then you learn, oh my gosh, I had an emission of semen. I didn't even know. It was kind of weird, you know? And it doesn't even have to be, I don't remember it 
uh, in my teens. Being teen. a sexual dream. Yeah, being yeah. a sexual dream at all. I just remember waking up and there it was, you know, and you're kind of like, whoa, you know, and obviously your body's carrying a lot of testosterone when you're younger and it's building up. So you have a, we've talked to a lot of college kids too that wake up and they say, man, when I wake up, dude, that's my hardest time to, uh, when it comes to masturbation to not do it because I wake up and, and I'm erect already and I already feel like charged up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they talk about, hey, I can barely even touch it and I have like an orgasm and, you know, I feel awful and I feel like I've sinned and I, you know, and I, I never like the approach to go like, man, that's wrong. I never like to say that off the bat. I never like to, 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 to give someone that, you know, as the beginning of the conversation at all. Um, cause to me, it, like you, it's just not what's relevant at that time. You know, at that time, this person's already coming to me worried about their relationship with God. They're already concerned about their relationship with God, which is great. I don't need to, I don't need to try to like (laughs) heap something else upon them, you know, or heap up more sorrow upon sorrow. It's like, I already know that this guy's, you know, God, he he maybe has looked at porn before he's woken up. He feels this down there. He feels the excitement, you know, when he's struggling with. So it's always to point him back to God. Hey man, you know, talk to God about it. You know, it's, you know, love God. You know, it's amazing when I look back on how I got rid of uh, how, you know, um, things kind of fell away from me as far as sinful behaviors. Um, and it was never through like uh, someone saying, dude, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, it never was yeah. when someone said, Hey, drugs were wrong. This is wrong. I never, I never switched gear. Really. When someone told me that I almost felt like I wanted to do it more. Yeah. You know, yeah, and that's the argument that Paul makes in Romans seven, where he says, I would not have known that covetousness was wrong until the law told me it was. Yeah. And then he says, and then sin taking advantage filled my heart with all sorts of covetousness. So we're so sinful, we're so messed up that the second I tell someone, don't taste, don't touch, don't handle, that's the exact thing that they want to do. Yeah. And in my life, that's absolutely true. When I realized it was wrong, I wanted to do it more. That's right. And the distinction is this, is that if you're, if you're not a Christian, then using the law of God is a perfect tool to help someone understand their guilt before a holy God. So nothing's wrong with going to someone who doesn't know the Lord and say, hey, you know, the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery, you know, thou shalt not murder. You know, nothing's wrong with those kind of thou shalt not statements. But when you have someone who's already broken, who's already a Christian, you know, some 13-year-old, 20-year-old person, young person who's already Christian, they know they're already struggling, man. They, it's like, you know, you don't you don't heap the law on that person. Instead, you point them to, to the Savior. You point them to faith in Christ and the relationship with God and them learning to develop that intimacy with God where it becomes greater, where it becomes better, where the tantalizing um, ways of the flesh don't seem as big of a deal. Right. And, and I like how you said that, like you, you put it in such a way that it is a process. And that's something important that I didn't understand uh, when I was a teenager. And I wish I did. Uh, because every single time I fell, I felt like, man, I'm like at square one. I'm not growing at all. You know, that's that's kind of my mentality, because uh, somewhere down the line, I got this idea that, oh, if if I repent of this, if I think it's wrong, then I'll never fall again. Then I'll never get back into it again. Right. Uh, and because of that, I had like tons of condemnation on me whenever I had a fall and I didn't understand. I mean, what, what if, what if you held that kind of standard towards yourself when it came to anger? I mean, to be angry with someone in your heart is the same as murder. I mean, murder is certainly 
uh, way worse of sin in the Bible as adultery or, or any type of lust. So, I mean, what if you had that same type of um, standard on yourself when it came to anger? The second I get angry at someone, I'm like, oh, I think I'm out of God's will. I think, I mean, obviously there's that godly sorrow. There's that, man, I shouldn't have done that. But it's a process. It takes, it takes a little bit of time for your heart to change, uh, for your actions to change, for your, for your desires to change. Uh, th- those are things that take time. It's a process. It doesn't happen immediately, mm-hmm. uh, overnight. And it could take years of, of fighting this thing. And I mean, me and you, we've been fighting for years. I've been fighting this thing for, uh, well over 10 years mm-hmm. and I'm still fighting. I'm Me still too. fighting, you know? Yeah. I mean, certainly uh, I know that you, you know this too, that the fight's easier now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's changed a lot. Yeah. Drastically. Uh, drastically. Um, but that doesn't mean it's gone. That's right. You know, and I don't freak out about that anymore. That's right. And sometimes, Hey, there's no doubt we, I mean, we, we're men, we're married, but you're recently married, but I've been married 20 something years, you know, and there's times where your wife can't have sex, where you start justifying the issues of self gratification. You know, for me, mas- uh, masturbation has become, um, an issue of an extension of marriage, you know? So for me, it's never been, you know, pornography for me, Peter is never been to want to be with those girls that I watch. It, it's not about that. It's about finding something that shows me and my spouse. It's trying to f- replicate something that I find very exciting in my life. And in, in conjuring up that same mental, emotional, um, physical vibe, you know, and that doesn't justify it at all because it, it's still, I'm still self-pleasing myself, you know, um, that's kind of a double negative or kind of (laughs) self-pleasing myself, but you know, you, you kind of understand. I'm just, I'm just, it's on me, you know, but that's what it's been. I, I, I wasn't those kids that experienced a lot of self-gratification before I got married, mm. you know. So my own personal story is that self-gratification became something that developed after I got married much more because it became something where I thought, wow, this is a, awesome. This is so great. And because I was familiar with pornography, it was a way for me to experience that marital bliss when I couldn't have marital bliss. But the danger of that, like I say, is pornography or self gratification becomes, uh, you become, it becomes easier. Mm. You know, where sex as you get older becomes more difficult, meaning your body, even though I'm in good shape, I think, though it still, it takes effort. Um, and it's easy just to sit down and, and, and self gratify. You know, and think of it that way. But, you know, self-gratification, hopefully you guys are understanding this, that, um, that you now is, you know, self-gratification can be not just with yourself and your, say your hand, Mm -hmm. but it can be yourself and with a body. Mm -hmm. So, um, it can be with a prostitute, which would be self-gratification. You can self-gratify with your wife. Where, where there's not a love, there's not a giving. Like instead of looking at sex this way, like, man, dude, I'm so stoked. My arousal comes from just giving my wife joy, like in, in sex. That's my joy is that. And that's where the arousal comes is through, through giving her joy. Mm. And even after you give her joy in sex and, and, and you're not expecting anything in return, mm. you're not looking to get serviced. You know what I mean? You're just looking to serve. And that's your, that's kind of your, that's your joy. That's where your arousal comes from. Um, 
when you go into sex in a selfish way where it's just about me, I don't really care about that person at all, you know, uh, but I just need to get my, my kicks off. Um, then you really aren't really, I don't know if you're doing much different than self-gratification. I guess my point is, is that self-gratification isn't defined in a biblical way as whether it's with your hand or with a body. It's really what's on the inward part of the heart. Right, which is what Jesus is mainly concerned with. I mean, he, uh, there are examples in the Bible where you have people doing right things with wrong hearts, and God says things like, those good deeds are like used tampons in front of me. He says, I don't want them. Uh, whereas you have, you have instances in the Bible where people do wrong things, but with right hearts, and God sometimes he doesn't really get too mad about it. Like a great example, I think, is King David when he wanted to build the temple of God, which God didn't want him to do. And Nathan was like, right on, go do it. you know. And, and both of them had right hearts. They just weren't in the will of God. And when God corrects them, it's very gentle. It's a very gentle correction. And in fact, he like blesses David just for having that heart. Yeah. So here, that's the difference is God actually is more interested in your heart than your actions. Which is kind of crazy to think. Yeah, but it's so it's so like God, you know. <laughs> like if there really is a God, He's going to be concerned about our entire being. He's not just going to be concerned with the outward and go, "Oh, well, masturbation's wrong. Why? Well, it's just because it's you and your hand." But when you hey, when you go into bed with your wife and you have sex, then it's all good. I mean, you can still be selfish, <laughs> and you can still do whatever you want to do in the selfish ways you want to do it. But it, it's fine now because at least you got her body. You know, see, God's more concerned about every aspect of the reflection of his character in our lives. Mm. That's what he's about. He's that's why our first kind of thing of being in the image of God, our first comments are so important. That's what God that's our foundation is God wants to move us to become in the image of God. So the marriage bed should reflect the image of God and the likeness of God and those type of things. So. Um, is there any other thing you, you think we should touch on with this issue? Uh, I think the, the last thing that I did want to talk about with you is kind of like the rise of self-gratification, not just in, in men, but in women, mm-hmm. in the sense of singleness. People are seeing singleness as as a great alternative to getting into the mess and the, the ruck of yeah. relationships. I mean, I think that's what a lot of my studies have come uh, to over the past eight years of looking into this topic. Obviously, there is a rise in women viewing pornography. There's obviously pornography um, all over the Internet that's available to all people. You have girls that are being raised on the Internet, and, and they see things. And whether you hide them for uh, from them, if you hide sex from your kid your whole life, you know, their whole life, it's teenagers, they're going to, as they get older, they're going to see it, you know. Um, so for me, it's like as a parent, you have to be, a, a instructing parent today. You have to be able to to instruct them when they see pornography. It's not if they see pornography, it's when they see pornography. So you have to be able to instruct them about it, you know, in a in a good way. And that can be another another thing. But women obviously are getting a hold of it. And obviously women I think in the culture they find that uh pornography has become a viable option for them. And and there's reasons why. Um, you know, there is, there, there, there used to be in the seventies, a real strong anti-porn women's lib movement. 
and that's with uh, women like Dworkin and McKinnon and those kind of uh, kind of women's lib voices of the 70s that were very much against pornography as women. And but over the years since then, there uh, pornography has been a staple of actually women's lib. It's kind of weird. It's become almost like the sign of women women's uh, liberation to do what they want to do with their bodies. Now, this has happened through the transformation of the pornography industry, where you've had an industry that was run predominantly by men, and then slowly over time, it has women entrepreneurs that now run part of the industry. So they, they themselves are business women. They in, themselves are making a good money. They themselves are having the freedom to experience or to film sex the way they want it, how they want it. So these, so some of the, the videos that are being produced nowadays are women producing the women. So the argument doesn't work anymore from the 70s, right? Of like, hey, man, it's it's against women. It's bad women. And then you have the women producers of the porn going, what are you talking about? It's against women. I'm the one who's producing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a woman. So it doesn't work anymore. That that. So you have a whole nother segment of pro-porn women's liberation. And, and it certainly has taken hold where some of the more popular soft porn out there is very pro strong women that seek pleasure on their own terms and that's what that's how the actresses are 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 depicted in the pornography um, though it might be soft porn it might be on Cinemax or HBO and some of those are just edited pornography but um it, it shows women that are that are they're not just some stupid woman you know that wants sex but they're women they're normal women you know some of them are business women but they're smart they're sassy you know so it it depicts that it's something that shows that women can you know have pleasure on their own terms and i think when you have an economic situation like you have in our country and that's another uh, story too but economics plays a big role and i think how pornography is used and, and especially for women, because when a woman has the risk that she has in the country, uh, the economic risk, um, meaning meaning she could get fired if she gets pregnant, she might not have a job, she might lose her health care. There's there's a lot of pressure economically. Then then why would you go and date? Why would you want to date? Why would you want to risk? You know, why would you go to bars? You know what I mean? Um, these things all become huge risk factors for a woman. And so it, 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 it becomes logical for her to easily just go, hey, you know, that's not wise. That's not smart. I want to be a businesswoman. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to make money. I want to buy a house. I want to, you know what I mean? I want to, you know, whatever she's doing, she, she, she is like a man in, in, from men, you know, 100 years ago. She is in that same role. So she's the provider. She's the, you know, she's all these things. So, you know, the risk of losing all those things becomes great for a single woman, for a college-age student, where, hey, why not just stay home? And, hey, guess what? You put on a little a little something on the Internet, and you, you have a little moment's pleasure, you know, and then it's done. And then you go on with your world. You know, the, 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 the factor there is I didn't have to deal with a man. I didn't have to worry about a disease. 
I didn't have to worry about, you know, if something were to happen and I got pregnant. I didn't have to worry about the emotional baggage of maybe an abortion or of carrying a baby and being a single mom. And I certainly don't have to worry about the emotional baggage of being in a relationship with a guy that I really don't know if he's really going to be the one for me, you know. And let's face it, there's a lot of males that are nuts out there, and I don't have to deal with that either. So for me, I mean, when you look at all of that, and, you, you, you know, to me, it makes a lot of sense of why, you know, you might find as a woman, you know, pornography becoming a viable option, you know. And it already has been for years, and people just don't know it. But, you know, obviously there's like, not, I think it's like 90 million, you know, um, books um, romantic books are read in this country or purchased in this country. It's like that's like what it grosses a, a year, something pretty amazing. Um, but that shows that they're, and predominantly that's women that are purchasing these. Yeah. So obviously there's a, a, a demand for that material before even the porn industry has become what it is today, before even the free porn revolution um, that is that is out today, you know. Which, you know, I think is, is, I think, you know, there'll be changes with that over the next 10 years too. Mm, yeah, for sure. And so I, I think like the, the major point that we want to get across is, and whether you're a man or a woman, you know, uh, it's no longer every man's battle for sure. And I don't think it ever was, you know, it's, it's, it's everybody's battle. And, and so there really shouldn't be that stigma or that fear inside of people in the church if you are struggling with masturbation and pornography like whether you're a man or a woman you're not alone like it's all over and, and, and i think we all have that struggle from one uh, end or the other check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series take flight and love or lust you can also send us questions on twitter at running light or on our runninglight.org podcast page like us on facebook at running light ministries psalm 36 8 They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.